When I was in middle school, I joined a YMCA swim team. Now, I don't remember why or how that happened, but it did. But there are a few things that I do remember about being on that swim team. The first thing was swim practice. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a swim team, but you know what you do at swim practice? You swim. You swim down and back, down back. Sometimes you switch the stroke. Sometimes they give you a little instruction, then it's back to swimming laps. It didn't really have the appeal that, like, let's say, basketball practice had for me. The second thing I remember about swim practice was the Speedo. Now, it's not exactly the most, uh, it's not exactly the best uniform for a middle school boy. Just put it that way. A little bit awkward. And uh, it wasn't that bad in practice. You know, you can kind of sneak out of the locker room and slither into the pool without anybody seeing you and feeling naked. Um, But it was a totally different story at the meets, which brings me to the third thing that I remember, which is the swim meets. So the swim meet, if practice is swim, 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 then the meet is wait, wait, wait. You stand around in a Speedo while there's all these other people there in full clothing just waiting for your meet to come, your event to come. So finally when your event comes, you have to stand up on a platform in front of everybody in a Speedo. And then, uh, you know, you jump in the pool, you swim back and forth a little bit, it's over. You're kind of like, what just happened? I don't even know. Now, as you can tell, it wasn't the best experience for me. And uh, after that first swim meet, I remember talking to my parents and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And I don't know why, but they actually let me quit. I think it was the only thing they ever let me quit in my entire life. And I had to go meet with the coach and explain to him, you know, why I didn't want to swim. I'm pretty sure I didn't mention the speedo part. Um, But it just, well, for whatever reason, I just didn't want to do it. Now, sometimes in our lives, at least I know in my life, there's a lot of things that I feel like I want to quit. You know, let's just take following Jesus for one example. Sometimes it's hard to do. And, okay, not that I don't want to, like, follow Jesus anymore, but maybe I just want to take a couple steps back and do my own thing or experience a little bit more of what the world has to offer. And maybe for you it's it's something similar. You think, hey, you know, know, is there something else out there that I'm missing out on? Or, hey, following Jesus is just kind of a hard thing. Like, doing what God's asked is kind of tough. And so what is it that can help us to persevere when it feels like there's something better that we're not getting. You know, is there some message from the Bible that says, hey, what do I do when I just feel like my schedule's overwhelming and I'm just like tacking all this church and God stuff on top of everything else and throwing into this mix and my life just feels crazy, overwhelming, like it's unsustainable. What do we do when we hit that point of even if I can use the word burnout or just questioning where you're at in your journey with God. So, we've been in this series on the book of Acts. We've been moving through and specifically focusing on a church called Antioch and how they sent out, you know, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, and this other guy, Barnabas, and they traveled all over, you know, the Mediterranean and and planted churches. And we're going to look at kind of another step in that journey. John spoke last week about their, their trip to this place called Antioch of Pisidia, just kind of up in Turkey. And now we're going to see two new kind of segments of their journey to two more cities in that same region of now modern-day Turkey. 
So if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you grab it and turn to Acts chapter 14. And if you don't, it's also going to be up on the screen, so you can look there. So Acts chapter 14, we're going to be looking at uh, starting with verses 1 through 7. Acts 14, 1 through 7, I'm going to read it for you guys. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Hey, so what do we do when we're confronted with this question of, hey, is this worth it? Like, how do I persevere through a difficult time in my life? What does the Bible have to say if we're confronting, you know, uh, just a hardship and it makes us want to quit? Well, the word from this passage is, your only hope is His calling. His calling is your only hope. Now, notice what's happening in this passage. Okay, Paul and Barnabas are having an effective ministry. They show up. They share this good news about Jesus. People receive it. But then there's this division, right? Some people don't like it, and they persecute them. And there's even signs and wonders that are be- being performed. People are being healed. There's other you know, crazy stuff that's happening. But we also notice, right, that uh, they share boldly despite the fact that they're being opposed. So even though this is a difficult thing, it's really interesting that Paul and Barnabas don't quit. They keep on going. So three times before this, the book of Acts records places where Paul specifically encountered something really difficult, where he was being persecuted. Now, if you know the story of Paul, he's the guy that was like um, after the church and like killing people and and trying to like throw them out and... um, He sees Jesus while he's riding on a a mule, I think it was, and then his life is totally transformed. And he kind of ends up in that region sharing the gospel, and then there's a threat on his life. And if you went to Sunday school at one point in time, you may have heard, you know, about um, Paul being lowered in a basket from a, you know, from a city wall. He escaped because they were plotting to murder him. Then Paul goes to Jerusalem. Same kind of deal happened. He had to flee because they were going to try to kill him. And then in the passage that John was preaching on last week, Paul and Barnabas were there preaching, and they got kicked out of the city. The the authorities, the rulers, gathered up a mob, and they just said, hey, you guys are done, leave. So this isn't the first time that's happening. It's just this cycle that is repeating over and over again. But Paul and Barnabas, amazingly, they don't quit. They keep doing the same thing. And so it gets me thinking, why? It would be so easy to say, man, people are like kicking us out of cities. They're threatening to murder us. There's plots against our lives and they don't give up. It's a pretty amazing stand of like fearlessness and boldness. You know, it says in this last passage that that Paul and Barnabas, after they were kicked out of the city that they were just in, they shook the dust off their feet. And that's a familiar phrase, actually, in the Bible, because it goes back to Jesus' words to the disciples. If you go to Luke 
chapter 9 or Matthew chapter 10, there's uh, a passage where Jesus talks to the 12 disciples and he sends them out. And he says a whole bunch of stuff. But one of the things is, hey, if people don't receive you, you shake the dust off of your feet in kind of a testimony against them that they're rejecting the message of Jesus. So what is it that makes Paul and Barnabas not give in? It's the fact that they remember the call of Jesus. Now you see, those passages that I just remembered mention all of the different things that we see happening in this passage. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, preach the kingdom. He says, heal the sick. He says, people are going to be divided when you hear this message. And then he says, if they kick you out, you're to shake the dust off of your feet. So all of those things that Jesus mentioned, every single one of them are happening in this passage. And that tells me that Paul and Barnabas remember. They remember the words of Jesus and what it is that he's calling them to. His calling is your only hope. Barnabas and Paul refuse to let go of these words of Jesus. And we know they remember them because they're doing it. Right? Now, it's the same for us. When we're going through a hard time and it feels like, hey, this God thing isn't really working out for me, right? Life's too tough. God's asking me to do X, Y, and Z, and man, is that really making my life difficult? I think for me, it's been, you know, a journey of, um, yeah, just like the busyness recently of life and thinking, man, like, it would be nice just to kind of be able to walk away and take a break. But God is saying, hey, remember our calling. This is real. This is what God is speaking to us to do. Now, there's a couple things that you need to keep in mind with that. There is a general call for all people that are followers of Jesus, but then there is also a specific call for your life, right? What is God's general call for us, right? It is to love God, to love people, and to tell them that God offers all people forgiveness through Jesus and a relationship with God, right? But then there's the specifics of our life. That's equally as important because we need to seek the Lord to say, hey, God, is this what you're leading me to? Because when things get hard, you have to have a calling to hold on to. You have to know, hey, God called me to this, so I need to stick to it. I can't let go because I know that this was a word for God for, God for my life. Now, um, I want to honor a couple people here and, and use them as a little bit of an example, but Jason and uh, Kate Muckley are members of our church here at the harbor. I think they're, they're a prime example of this. Jason and Kate felt like the Lord was calling them, okay, specific call from their life, to move from Colorado, where their family is, to come out here and do the training school, the church's training school, with the intention of then being part of a church planning team at some point in time. Now, they did that without any promise of a job. They have a little, they have a little girl, Emery, who's, who's still here now, and they moved out. No job. Just a word from the Lord. The Lord provided Jason a job. He's an engineer, and with a, you know, a few weeks or a month of being here, that God gave him a job. Awesome. Praise the Lord. But the next couple of years in the training school were difficult. It's an intense school. You're doing you know, things every you know, Wednesday night for four hours. You're doing stuff on the weekends. You're taking a, you know, a two-week intensive trip to another country overseas, and it was a hard journey for them, especially because their family wasn't here, and they have little kids, so, you know, getting childcare, all those things. 
But the key is that they knew during that journey that this is what the Lord had told them to do. We have to have that same certainty. His calling is our only hope. When times get tough, we have to have a calling of the Lord to hang on to. We have to know what it is that God is calling us to. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, so you know, we're reading stories about Paul, but Paul has a lot of commentary in the Bible about his experiences of suffering. One of the things that Paul says is, hey, I pray that the, that the mind of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which you have been called. Paul is speaking to these people and saying, hey, he want, God wants them to know the hope that he is calling them to and be certain of what that is. So we need to remember the calling that God has in our life. When it gets tough, we need to remember what it is that God has asked us to do. Now, is there anything else in this passage that, um, that can help us hold on when times are tough? Well, let's look at the next section. We're going to see the same cycle continue in this next city. So why don't you jump down with me to verse 8 in chapter 14. So they've been, they've been, they fled, they fled this city of Iconium. Now they're moving to this next city of Lystra. And here's what happens. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Okay, so we see the same pattern, right? They don't give up. They go to the next city. They preach the gospel. People are responding, although it be it in kind of a weird way, which I'll explain in a minute. And they persevere. But what we see that's interesting in this passage is, right, his calling is your only hope. Wait, that was the same thing I said before. It's the same message. His calling is your only hope. In other words, the thing we see in this passage is that, hey, Whatever it is that God intends for your life is actually the only path of life. Because there is only one God. Whatever it is that God is is drawing you into or calling you to or asking you to obey Him in, choosing anything else is death. It's not going to bring the hope and the life that He has for you. And that's something that Paul and Barnabas are entirely convinced of. They're saying, hey... This is real. This is reality. This is legit. This is the truth. When they see these people coming at them and saying, oh, hey, you guys are Zeus and Hermes. Awesome. We're going to sacrifice to you. They're saying, no, they're tearing their clothes because of just this this lie that these people are believing about what's actually happening. 
Now, the interesting thing here, too, what I want to mention is, um, this is in contrast. In this story of the book of Acts, there's, there's, a, there's another story about uh, King Herod. And I mentioned this in about a month ago when I preached. And that is that, so King Herod is kind of ruling over this region of Judea and stuff. And um, at one point, there's this conflict with a certain group of people. They end up resolving it. Herod goes there, and they praise him as a god, it says. They say, oh, Herod, you know, you're a god. And Herod, it says in his heart, received their worship, and the Lord immediately struck him down. And he died. It says that, like, worms ate his stomach or something weird like that. So he gave him some disease, and he died. And the, the passage here is drawing a direct contrast to show the appropriate response to when someone is, like, praising you. It is Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes, and they're like, no, this is false. This is not right. Don't worship us. We are not God. Now, the reason that these people do this, they're not crazy. There's actually, uh, there was a, a poet, a Roman poet named Ovid, and he apparently wrote this poem. It was this, this legend about... Um, this actual region where Paul and Barnabas were. What apparently happened, according to this legend, was that Zeus and Hermes, you know, Zeus is like the lightning guy who throws lightning bolts, and Hermes was like a messenger that was sent from him. They took on human form, and they went down to this, this region, and they knocked on a thousand doors looking for someone to provide them with, like, hospitality to take them in for the night. And all the people refused them, except for the last people that they knocked on their door was this poor elderly couple, you know, living in this little shack. They welcomed him in, and so then Zeus and Hermes decided they're going to kill all the people in this region except for these two. So they flood the area, kill everybody, and then they build this, this couple a nice big temple, and they make them the priests of it. So this is the narrative that is going through these people's minds when they see Paul and Barnabas. And they think, wow, miraculous sign. Somebody got healed. It's Zeus and Hermes. These are the gods that we know about, and we don't want to get killed. We don't want to get judged, so we'd better like, you know, give them some offerings. So they're not just doing weird, crazy stuff. That's the narrative that they know. And notice how narrative is everything. You know, whatever narrative we use to understand our world is what informs the decisions that we make. Right? And that's why story is so important. And it's 50% basically of the Bible. Because story helps us interpret the world that we see in. And that's why we're all drawn to stories. We're drawn to movies. Little kids love books because story is, is this world. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, there is a different narrative that is the true narrative. Right? It's the story of the one and only God that made this world and it provides the rain and gives you fruit. You know, and they're telling these people and encouraging them, no, don't do this thing. Don't worship these, these, the, us. We're, you know, we're not God. Now, um, for us then, the temptation is to choose a different narrative or to choose something else that is going to promise us something. The Bible calls that idolatry, but really it's just, hey, I'm going to be happy as long as I have Jesus and fill in the blank. So the message to us here is, hey, God's calling for your life is the only hope. If we choose something else, it is not going to satisfy. Right? For me, here's my example. I'm a math teacher. 
Uh, that was my, what I studied in college, and uh, about four years in, I had a quarter-life crisis and just thought, I can't do this for the next 30 years. Oh my gosh, like, I could be in the same classroom, I'll be 60, whatever. So I quit, and I just thought, you know what, I'll go to seminary. I've thought of doing ministry, that's kind of been a thought in my mind, I'll do that. Well, I went through seminary, was totally burned out at the end, had no, like, you know, was totally not in a place of ministry, was just kind of confused and misguided. And uh, so what did I do? I had to go back to teaching because I had to make some money. So it was rather reluctantly that I went back into it. So now that was uh, five years ago. I'll be kind of coming up on my sixth year of teaching this fall. And it hasn't been, it doesn't feel like it's my ultimate calling, you know. So it's been a little bit of a struggle the past few years. I've just felt like, hey, God, like I, I feel like I want to be doing ministry. And the temptation for me has been, to just get my resume together and put it out there at some church, you know, in who knows where. Because that's totally an option. I have a degree, so now I'm qualified, right? I can get a job. But I haven't felt like that's what God has been saying for us to do. By the grace of God, I haven't done it. It's not because I'm some super Christian guy. It's just my wife mostly is saying, no, that's not what God has for us. So she keeps me in line. But you see, that's, that's the temptation. Right? Whatever it is that God is calling to you, that is the hope for your life. It's the best plan. So maybe for you it's something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's marriage. You want to be married, and you're not. And it's like, God, I need this. Right? I have to be married. Well, if that's not what God has given you or He is calling you to in this season, that's not your hope. You can't put your hope in that because then it's an idol. Now it's something that you have to have, and without it, God can't meet your needs because this is something I have to have. I feel like I've talked about this idolatry thing a number of times in my sermons, but I think it's because it comes up all over the place in the Bible because our hearts are so prone to go after something to satisfy those longings in our heart. Not accepting God's calling for our life, whatever that may be, and whatever smaller or however big, is sin. Because if God is asking us to do one thing and we're choosing something else, that's the wrong choice. And the Bible says that sin leads to death. And so what that means is that His calling is the only hope. Now we think, hey God, there's something else out there. I want this, right? Maybe for you it's also a career change. You're stuck in a job that you hate. And it just, man, every day going to work, it's like you just got to pull yourself out of bed and drug yourself to work because it's just not what you have feel like you want to do with your life. But for whatever reason, God has you in that place. And so if you're putting your hope in anything else, it's not going to satisfy because it's not God. He's the only one that can satisfy the longings of our hearts. So, one thing I want to say is don't get crazy Christian on me here. Okay, so those of you that have been following with Jesus for a long time, the temptation here is to say, oh my gosh, I have to find the one path for God, and if I don't, I have no hope. No, okay? That's not the way it works. First of all, this is all about a journey with the Lord, and that's what he wants. The only way you can figure out what God is calling you to is if you dialogue with him. And guess what? That takes a lot of practice. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still feel like a rookie when it comes from listening to God, hearing from Him, and getting a direction for my life. So, take the pressure off. 
There's grace for you to make mistakes. The key here is do not give up and know that God's calling for your life is the best plan. He has your best interest at heart and he knows how he's made you, the best fit for your life, and what is going to be the most glorifying to him and most satisfying to you. You've got to trust that. So don't get crazy Christian, okay? Don't, don't freak out and say, I've got, to, I've got to cover, you know, I've got to figure this out. What do you know? No, no. Take the pressure off. Relax. It's a journey. There's grace to make mistakes. God wants to walk you through it. But don't quit. You can't quit because this is the only hope. Following Jesus is the only hope for this world, not, including, you know, not just your life, but also this entire world. Now, if you're not, you know, if you're not you know, too into the whole Christian thing, that's not a temptation for you. So let me just address that real quick. If you're not a Christian or you haven't really followed this, you know, Jesus much, you're not sure about this whole Christian thing, let me just give you a quick you know, version of this whole story. Okay? And John, I think, talked about this a little bit last week. But it's always good to review. God made the world, right? It didn't just appear out of nowhere. It wasn't some cosmic accident. You know, however that happened, whether it was evolution or an instantaneous creation, God made this world. And he put people on this world to take care of it. And he actually gave them the authority and said, hey, you guys are in charge. Represent me in this world and and do what I would do. So the whole world reflects what's happening in heaven. The problem, as you know, is that people chose to follow someone else's narrative, right? Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan's interpretation of reality instead of God. And they chose, they said, God's not giving me what I need. I've got to have this. And they worshiped an idol. They made something else more important than what God was calling them to and what he had said. So all that to say, the world, which is obvious, became really messed up. It's pretty easy to look through the news and just say, man, this is a messed up place, right? And the Bible has the best explanation of why that happened. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, famous Russian author, the line dividing good and evil runs through the heart of every man and woman, right? So how do you fix a world where every person has both, you know, good and evil waging within them? How do you fix a world where... You know, the authority that people had in this world, they gave it over to the devil, to Satan, to his demons. Well, you send a person, because a person has authority in the world, to fix it. And that's Jesus. Right? Jesus came to the world to fix the problem. The problem was sin and our separation from God and all the mess that it created in this world. And so Jesus, what did he do? Because God's a just God, he... he, He had to punish sin. He wanted to eliminate it from the entire creation so that the world would be perfect. So he poured all his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus took our punishment from God's wrath. And if if we receive and we put our faith in Jesus' sacrifice, we can have forgiveness of sins. And then the amazing thing is we receive the gift of God's presence, his Holy Spirit living within us. So that now we are empowered to transform this world and to make it right. Now, we haven't finished the job yet, have we? But that's the way the world is going. Is Jesus, through his sacrifice, we receive forgiveness, and now we have a relationship with God, and we're empowered by his spirit to make this world right. And Jesus is going to return and finally put an end to all suffering and death and sadness and tears and all of it. It's going to be all gone. Okay, thanks for pardoning me on that little 
digression, but it's the gospel of Jesus, right? And that's our hope. And it's all about grace. It's a gift that God gives us. We don't earn anything with God. He gives us forgiveness if we're just willing to trust him. Okay, so his calling is your only hope. Following any other path or running after any other thing in, in, in life is never going to satisfy us. And we have to remember what it is that God has called us to if we are going to persevere. So let me read the end of this story. Just the last few verses here. What happens? So this is uh, starting in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so again, you see the completion of the cycle. Paul gets stoned. Not that stoned. He gets hit with rocks. Right? Sorry. It's a bad joke. Um, and they drag him out of the city. They think he's dead. He somehow pops up. I don't know if it was a miracle or he just, you know, whatever happened there. It doesn't explain. They go back into the city. Amazing. They leave. They go to the next city, do the same thing. Lots of people believe. But the interesting little point here that you might miss is that after they go to this other city, Derby, they return to Lystra and then they go back to Iconium. It's incredible. They got kicked out of these cities and stoned, and they go back. They go back to them. Now, again, they weren't preaching kind of in the open air. You know, it wasn't kind of an evangelistic or outreach type of trip, it seems. It says that their purpose was strengthening and encouraging. So they were probably mostly just meeting in smaller groups and trying to strengthen the people that were there and, and getting up some, setting up some structure with appointing leaders and stuff like that. But still, it's amazing that they went back, I think. And so his calling is your only hope. So obey Jesus and don't fear. Do not fear. Paul and Barnabas are just amazing because they, had, they, they refuse to give in to fear. Fear would say, get the heck out of there. Go back to where you came from. Don't return to those cities because you might get stoned again and you might get thrown out again. It's just amazing to me that, they, that it's not influencing them. Now, we, we don't know what's going on in their heads. It doesn't give us a, a, a front row seat to like, you know, mentally what's happening in Paul and Barnabas' head. But I'm sure it was a temptation, right? It had to be. You don't get hit with a bunch of rocks and almost killed and then forget about it. You know, that's kind of a permanent memory burned in your mind. So how do we access not being afraid to do what God has called us? Well, I got an email earlier this week from a couple workers that we have that are connected with our movement, um, and they're in North Africa. And they met a guy uh, who was an African man uh, recently, and he, he was in prison for his faith, and then he was beaten, and he was recently released. And they had a chance to meet up with him. And he said this. This was the message that he gave to them. Obey Jesus and do not give way to fear. When you fear, you let Satan influence you. Fear is Satan's weapon to control you. Do not fear. It's powerful coming from someone that's just been beaten, right, and imprisoned for their faith. You see, fear, when we have fear in our hearts, it exposes that we have an idol. 
It exposes that there's something else that we are attaching a need to have. So when that is threatened, right, then that's where fear can jump in and influence us. So here's an example from my life, right? My wife and I have our first child. His name's Sam. He's back and he's in the back there with my wife. She's trying to get him to sleep. He doesn't do it at night. And um, he, uh, the, the big thing, the big journey for me has been, you know, it's been an exercise in exercising fear for me. And the, the main thing is just his health, his safety, right? I can't control if he gets sick or not. Now, I can try to, like, you know, help him wash his hands or, you know, keep him away from sick people or whatever, but I ultimately cannot control that. He could choke on food, right, and suffocate. He could, you know, bonk his head and get hurt. I can't keep him safe from everything. And so if I make his health an idol, then fear instantly has a foothold on my life. If I say, he has to be safe, oh my gosh, I will not survive if something happens to him. That's an idol. And now what jumps in? Fear. Fear. As soon as we have an idol, fear says, oh great, this is my chance to make you afraid. Because I can threaten you and maybe possibly take something away that you cannot live without. Fear exposes for us idols in our hearts. So my question is, what are you afraid of? Is there something that, you know, keeps you up at night or that, or that terrifies you? And it's a, it's a good question to ask because a lot of us can sometimes put on a front like, you know, I'm not afraid, you know. I'm not afraid. But it will just divert in some other way. It's sneaky. It's tricky, you know, especially when it comes to things that are, that are, that are dear to our hearts. What is it that makes you afraid? There's a chance there that there's an idol. You know, is it finances? Is it providing your family? Does that make you worry? Sometimes we mask fear with something called stress, right? Oh, I'm just stressed. Is it fear? Is that really the root of what's happening? Is it, you know, is it, you know, I just, I just don't know what I'm going to do with this relational dynamic. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of losing this friend or, you know, something breaking down. Satan's goal is to destroy your life. The Bible says the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to use every means that he can to make that happen. The good news is we don't really actually have to put up with it. There's a very simple way to deal with it. The Lord gave me an image the other day. And maybe it was just my imagination. I kind of felt like it was from the Lord. But it was, um, there were these little monsters. um, These little, like, really ugly, kind of gross creatures. And they smelled kind of bad. And they had these collars around their neck. And uh, a chain, and that was attached to me. It's kind of like, you know, a mean, ugly, poorly behaved dog, okay? Because they were biting me, and they were kind of jumping on me and pulling me in different directions, you know? And I felt like the Lord said, that's fear, Brian, for you. That's the spirit of fear that's having control in your life because you're giving it access by putting your hope in something else besides me. So the nice thing is that... uh, the enemy of our souls only has authority that we give it, which means we can take it back, right? And it's a simple process. It's really just repenting of the fact that we've put something else above God. We've said, hey, this is something else that I need that's causing me fear because if I lose it, I'm going to lose my life or I, I, I can't go on. So it's repenting of that. And then it's just breaking off fear. It's rebuking fear in the name of Jesus. And saying, Lord, forgive me for partnering with fear. I refuse fear in the name of Jesus. I command it to leave and moving forward. 
right? And then it's saying, hey, what was the lie that I was believing? And God, what's the truth? It's asking him to reveal those things to you. And this is all the process of tending your heart that God, that God um, spoke to us through John a few weeks ago and that Neil referenced. The same process, right? Repenting, right? asking God for forgiveness, breaking off any you know, ties with some kind of fear or anything else, and then replacing lies with truth. Okay? Now, it can, it, a lot of times it's an ongoing process because for me, I've tried to do this over and over, but I'm still tempted to go back because there's something there. But the root is an idol. We have to ask the Lord, too, to, to, to reveal what it is that we're doing there. His calling is your only hope. Remember what it is that God is calling you to. When things are tough, when it feels like you just feel like quitting, when you feel like, hey, taking a step back, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing for a while, Jesus. Remember what it is that God is calling you to. Because that is the only hope for your life. It's the only hope for goodness. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus wants you to walk down this path to life and to fullness of joy and freedom. And the enemy wants you to walk anywhere else but there. And with any little thing that he can distract you to get you off of that path, he's going to throw it your way. But we don't have to succumb to his temptation. We just have to obey Jesus not quit, and keep seeking the Lord for God. What is it that you're calling me to do? His calling is your only hope. And we have the band come back up, and I'm going to close in, uh, in prayer. Father, when it's tough, I just ask that you would remind us that your calling is our only hope. That following you, Jesus is the only path to life and joy and freedom because you're God and everything else is not. So let us hold on to that truth, Jesus. Let us hold on to you. You are our hope. Jesus, you are the hope of the nations. You're the hope of this world. You're the only one that can reverse all the evil that's done in our hearts and in this world. Thank you, God. Remind us, remind us again. Amen.